remain standing for the reading of God's Word again. Please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We'll be reading verses 2 through 4. Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Now just by way of quick recap for where we've been, Paul has spent basically the entirety of chapter 3 and now transitions into chapter 4 doing the same as he's been doing, giving us practical implications of how to live out our sanctification. If the theme of the book of Colossians is the lordship and the supremacy of Christ, the, the answer that Paul has been giving us, the question that he has been answering for us is what does that look like in our lives? And he's shown us how to apply that to our relationships in the church and in the family and in the workplace. But now Paul turns our attention to our witness to the outside world. And so in verses 2 through 4, our passage today, he's going to focus on the prayer aspect of that. And next time that we gather to look at the book of Colossians, he'll focus on our witness. So Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Hear now, brothers and sisters, God's infallible, inerrant, sufficient word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Please be seated. Prayer and evangelism are, I think, two of the most indispensable parts of what the faithful Christian life is. They're necessary. You can't have one without the other, and I don't think really you can have a faithful Christian life without the two present. Prayer and evangelism. They go together and they come together. And they are to be had in that order, prayer and then evangelism. You'll know that certainly to be the case if you've ever tried to do evangelism without coding it from start to finish in prayer. And today we will look at the first, and next time we'll look at the latter. Though we will see today, if you look at your points that uh, are in your bulletin, uh, that one of our points we will consider what it is to pray evangelistically. And so in our passage at hand, we find the Christian duty of prayer. We are commanded by God's word here this evening to pray steadfastly, to pray thankfully, and to pray evangelistically. To pray steadfastly, thankfully, and evangelistically. And so we find first in verse 2 that we are to, as Paul puts it, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. I debated on whether or not to make these two separate points. Some do, but I think they go together. I think they're really getting at the same idea. So what does it mean? What does it mean to pray steadfastly? What does it mean to pray watchfully? Well, brothers and sisters, it is to pray constantly and diligently. It is to be attentive to our prayers, to persevere in them, to give unremitting care to them, to not just treat them as something that will happen when they happen. 
It's to be devoted to prayer, to pray vigilantly and actively. In the companion passage in Ephesians 6.18, Paul puts it a little more simply, and he commands the believers there to pray at all times. Now that's a lot. It's a lot of words. And so let's, let's simplify it for us in this first point. As we look to our passage at hand, I want us to see at least four different components Four different things that we should understand by the command to pray steadfastly and watchfully at all times. To do this, we should be praying regularly, constantly, persistently, and in all seasons of life. Regularly, constantly, persistently, and in all seasons of life. And so I think we'll find as we look to God's word that if we're praying steadfastly, or as Paul puts it in Ephesians at all times, we will find ourselves praying regularly. You can and should and certainly should pray at all times and at different times, but I think like anything else in life that you actually want to happen, you'll find that if you don't schedule it and you don't prioritize it, it's probably not going to happen. This was less the case, I think, in mine and Carly's lives before we had children. Before we had children, I think we had kind of the freedom and abundance of time that, that we could kind of on a second's notice make something happen. But certainly it's the case, at least in our lives, once we've had children, if we want it to happen, we better write it down on the calendar, put a notification on our phone, in a couple of different apps, we have to prioritize it, we have to schedule it. You don't just decide the day of that you want to go on vacation. It doesn't work that way. You schedule it. And for those who go to the gym and who work out and, and actually see results, if you ask those who see results, I guarantee you'll get this same answer every time. They schedule it. They have a certain time every day in which that is their time to go to the gym. They know it's not just going to happen. In fact, they know that if they don't plan it, if they don't prioritize it, if they don't schedule it, They'll find every reason in the world not to go. So it is the same with prayer. We should be praying regularly. And so then, we should pick, brothers and sisters, a consistent time and place in which we will pray every day. Now, while we don't find in God's Word a specific time commanded, we do see consistently throughout the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament, we find consistently the morning as the time that godly men and women and even Christ himself choose over and over again as their scheduled prayer time. Consider with me Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, where David says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Consider again Psalm 119, verse 47. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. And of course, hopefully we know that the morning was our Lord's ordinarily chosen time to be found in prayer. In Mark 1.35, we find the gospel saying of Christ that rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Prayer should be regular. It should be regular. That is scheduled and prioritized. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't also 
pray all the time, everywhere, anywhere, whether that be during a break at work or while you're stuck in traffic or before a test or in line at the grocery store, we should also pray constantly, constantly. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, in fact, we find Paul commanding us to do this, to pray without ceasing. And again, in Romans 12.12, he commands us to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. And so certainly we pray regularly, prioritize it, schedule it, have a routine time that you know you will make it happen, but also pray constantly. We must pray steadfastly. In order to do so, let us pray regularly, constantly, and persistently. Paul says in our text to be watchful in prayer. In the Ephesians Ephesians passages, he writes to that church that they should keep alert with all perseverance. And what Paul is saying here basically is, is don't lose heart in your prayer. Don't give up. Don't slack in your duty of prayer just because you're not seeing results. God wants to see persistent, persevering prayer. Consider, brothers and sisters, a guard who has been assigned to a watchtower. And this guard looks for the enemy for hours upon hours late into the wee hours of the morning. And sometime late into the night, after seeing no sign of the enemy, he determines it to be a waste of his time and nods off to sleep only to be awoken too late to the sound of fighting within the city walls. It turns out that only moments after he closed his eyes in slumber that the enemy made his way into the fortification. If only, if only he had persevered. If only he had been persistent in his watch. And so too, brothers and sisters, we are commanded, we are instructed, we are told to be watchful and persevere in prayer. Why? Why? Because the devil is always on the prowl, we're told in 1 Peter 5.8. Why? Because false teachers like fierce wolves are always looking to rip and tear into you, we're told in Matthew 7.15. Why should we persist and be watchful in prayer? Because we don't want the Lord's return to take us unaware, as we're warned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Why should we be persistent and watchful in prayer? And I think here is a pretty simple one. Because we have a tendency to fall asleep while we're praying. I know I do. We find a plethora of examples actually in the scriptures of men doing exactly this. Falling asleep while praying. Well I would encourage you brothers and sisters. If you find this to be the case tonight. If you find that in your prayers you fall asleep. I would encourage you. Don't be discouraged when you wake back up. Simply go right back to it. Why should we be persistent in prayer? Because persistent prayer gets results. Persistent prayer gets results. Consider with me Luke chapter 18. Jesus gives us this, I think, quite well-known parable there. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Don't we appreciate it when we're told the meaning of the parable before we get the parable? And Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? No, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. May it be true of us, brothers and sisters, that it could be said that we are beating the Lord down in our persistent prayers. Not that we could wear him down, but let it not be for a lack of effort on our part. We must pray steadfastly. And in order to do so, let us pray regularly, constantly, persistently, and in all seasons of life. Again, when we look over to Ephesians 6, the companion passage, Ephesians 6.18, we find that Paul instructs the church there and us to pray, it says, at all times. Now, This is an area we're looking at the Greek actually gives us some, I think, helpful nuance. In the Greek, there are actually two different words for time. Kronos and kairos. And while there is definitely some overlap between them, even in Paul's writings, they do technically have two different meanings, and I think that's important here for us. But chronos is more of what we think of when we use the word time. It refers to chronological time, sequential time, clock time. It's measured in, in minutes and hours and seconds. And so we could say then that chronos is, is, is quantitative. But kairos, the word that we find here when we're told to pray at all times, is qualitative. Kairos measures moments, not seconds. And honestly, it could be better translated for our understanding as seasons. So then that we could understand that Paul is commanding us to pray in all seasons of life. And so Paul is commanding us then not just to pray when life is easy... When everything is going our way, when everything is, is looking up. But to also pray when it's hard. To pray not just in seasons of celebration, but also in seasons of mourning. That we are to pray not just in seasons of success and promotion, but in seasons of failure. That we are to pray not just in seasons of joy, but in those of desperation. And I believe if we were to look at the Psalms, that we would find this lived out over and over and over again. The Psalms are filled with prayers so much so that they could be seen as really a book of prayers. And you don't just have one type. In the Psalms we find prayers of thanksgiving and praise, but also prayers of lament. Prayers filled with sadness and sorrow and even complaint to the Lord. I think the most famous of these is arguably Psalm 22 which Jesus quoted on the cross, but which I know that I as a believer, and maybe you have well, as well have felt at seasons in your life. And the psalm begins this way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Have you ever felt that way, brother and sister? The encouragement we find in the Psalms is that you're not alone. Now, this prayer is not then illegitimate, but proper to pray to the Lord. And then you have Christ, once again, as a perfect example for believers. 
In the Gospels, this time as an example of praying in all seasons. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus faced unimaginable suffering. And there we find him sweating drops of blood that he fell to the ground and did what? He prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will be done. Consider that Jesus in his agony is teaching us by example to pray in every season of life, even the worst imaginable. We are to pray in all seasons of life, brothers and sisters, the good and the bad, the pretty and the ugly. And in fact, I would offer this to you, that God may very well in his providence place you in those difficult seasons of life to cause you to pray. Dale Ralph Davis, which should be a name that's familiar to you brothers and sisters, a former pastor of Woodland Presbyterian Church in Hattiesburg, a church of our presbytery and RTS professor, he, he wrote this. He says, sometimes the Father may box us in. He may place us in a situation in which one by one all our secondary helps and supports are taken from us in order that defenseless we may lean on his mercy alone in prayer. Once we see this, we will no longer regard prayer as a pious cop-out, but rather as our only rational activity. And so first, brothers and sisters, we must pray steadfastly. And in order to do that, let us pray regularly, constantly, persistently, and in all seasons of life. But not only are we instructed to pray steadfastly, but if you look with me again at verse 2, we are commanded to pray thankfully. Thankfully. Paul writes there, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Have you ever stopped and considered the contents of your prayer life? Have you ever taken a step back and done an evaluation maybe of the last week or the last year? Uh, have you ever asked that question, what, what are my prayers mostly comprised of? If you were able to take a, a pie chart of the contents of your prayers that showed over the last, let's say, year or so, what percentage of your prayer time was spent on what, what do you think it would show? And maybe you're hearing that question, you're going, I've never even considered the content of my prayers. If not, I think the ACTS acronym would be helpful. It is for me. I use it regularly. It lists the different types of prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That, that's request that we bring to the Lord. And so looking at that pie chart, which would you think, if you were to take an analysis of your prayer life, which do you think would take up the biggest slice on that pie chart. I think for most of us, if we were honest, it would probably be supplications and requests. And to be certain, I don't want to give the wrong idea. There's nothing wrong with supplications and requests. In fact, the opposite. We're actually commanded and instructed in God's word in Philippians 4, 6 to let your requests be made known to God. He is our heavenly father after all and we are his children. And what, what loving father doesn't want to hear and answer the needs of his children. And we're told in Matthew 7, 11, that if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so your Father who is in heaven? 
And so, brothers and sisters, certainly, certainly bring your supplication. Certainly bring your request before your Heavenly Father in prayer. But, but I think we need to understand and be clear on this. That our prayers should not just be filled with us rambling off with a cosmic wish list every time. Let us be sure to thank Him for all that He has already done and is doing before we ask Him for more. Consider, should, should not thanksgiving occupy more of our prayers than supplications and requests? Uh, knowing, as we prayed earlier, that He created us and sustains us, that He gives us life and breath and everything. Uh, knowing that He has saved us, redeemed us, called us to be His own, adopted us into His family, justified us. That He sent His Son to die for us. Uh, knowing that even now in His session at the right hand of the Father, that He is advocating for us. Knowing that He has filled us with His Holy Spirit knowing that He has given us His Word and His sacraments, knowing that He has already, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 1-3, given us in Christ Jesus every blessing in the heavenly places. Knowing all of that, should not then thanksgiving occupy more of our prayers than requests? I think the answer is clear. And this is not just because we should... Or just because thanksgiving is God's due. But actually, brothers and sisters, there's actually a practical benefit for you and for me when we fill our prayers with thanksgiving. Paul, I believe, points to this here in the text when he connects thankfulness so closely with watchfulness in the verse. Look at your copies of God's Word there. Paul writes, "...being watchful in prayer with thanksgiving." Have you ever considered that watchfulness and thankfulness go hand in hand? That we need to be watchful and thankful. You see, watchfulness makes us aware that at any moment we could come under spiritual attack. But thankfulness, thankfulness is what actually fortifies us against those attacks. Brothers and sisters, thankfulness to God will strengthen you to withstand the attacks and temptations of the enemy, the flesh, and the world which seek to entice you. And consider, just for a moment, consider that if Eve had been more thankful for God's provision of every other tree that they could have eaten of in the garden, perhaps she wouldn't have been tempted by the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Consider that if she had been more thankful that God had already created her in His own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures, perhaps then, perhaps she wouldn't have been tempted by the serpent's lie that she would be like God after eating that forbidden fruit. Thankfulness to God will strengthen you to withstand the attacks and temptations of the enemy, the flesh, and the world which seek to entice you. We must pray steadfastly, thankfully. And third and finally, we must pray evangelistically. We must pray evangelistically. This actually takes up the majority of the text time here in this passage. We're told in verses 3 through 4, Paul writes, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. 
And so let's think again for a moment about the content and focus of our prayers and compare them to what Paul states here. What is Paul's focus? Paul's focus here is clearly on the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. So I think a simple question we must ask is ours. When, when I think of my prayer life, my prayers today, my prayers yesterday, my prayers tomorrow, could I say confidently that my prayers are focused upon this, the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of Christ? And sure, certainly, like, like we already said, pray for everything, truly. Pray for the sick. Pray for that test. Pray for that interview. Pray for daily guidance. Uh, but pray that the Lord would protect you from road rage as you sit on Delaware, stuck in traffic, moving 15 miles an hour below the speed limit in the left lane. Certainly pray at that moment as well. But Paul's main focus here is on the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of Christ. He writes, pray also for us. And consider with me, what were Paul's circumstances when he wrote this letter? When he wrote this to the church, where, where was Paul? He tells us in the text. He is in prison for the sake of the gospel. He is in prison for the sake of his ministry. Consider that he is, as he writes this, suffering for Christ and for his gospel and for his kingdom. And notice then, it should stand out to us what he didn't ask them to pray for. He didn't ask them to pray for his release from prison, did he? Or for any relief of his trials and tribulations and sufferings at all. Think about it. Paul had an opportunity to ask for prayer. And what comes to the apostles' minds are not his chains or his sufferings, but the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. That was Paul's priority. That was the content of his prayer and what he asked and instructs the church to pray for as well. And I think this should challenge us. It challenges me. When someone asks me what they can be praying for me for, what does my mind immediately go to? What about you? Personal issues? Maybe health concerns for you or for someone you care about? Maybe a job or a class? Derek Thomas, in a Ligonier article that I would commend to you, be a good homework after this, a good way to end the Lord's Day. It's a Lengthy article, but a good one nonetheless, titled God-Centered Prayer. Derek Thomas wrote this. Our prayers reveal much about us. Prayers with little or no worship and focusing on our needs, usually health, reveal a distorted Adamic bent. What they reveal is self-centeredness. What Martin Luther labeled a man curved in on himself. Derek Thomas writes, listen to prayers at the church meeting, if one still exists. You will discover that the majority of prayers are organ recitals. Organ recitals. Prayers for someone's liver, kidney, or heart. Not that we shouldn't pray for medical issues, he continues, but, but a preoccupation with health in itself is a reflection of how little we understand why it is that we desire good health. Biblically, we desire it so that the person we are praying for can better live for Christ Jesus. And so, so sure, brothers and sisters, pray for those things as well. 
But I do believe there's an issue when those concerns are the primary content and makeup of our prayers. As much as we pray for the physical and temporal matters, should we not pray all the more for that which is spiritual and eternal? And in fact, I would offer to you, I believe that an insight into the growth, maturity, and sanctification in the Christian's life can be found in the content of their prayers. As one grows and matures in their sanctification, so too their prayers will be more and more filled with kingdom matters instead of worldly things, things of eternal significance rather than things of temporal. And so yes, absolutely. Pray for the health and welfare of your family and neighbors and community. Pray for their bodies. But pray all the more for their souls. Pray all the more for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of His kingdom. And so I think we find here, if we were to break it down, that Paul is commending to us, and we could have as a takeaway here, that we should pray for three things. Well, actually, four. That we should pray for four things. That we should pray for gospel opportunity, gospel boldness, gospel clarity, and I'll save the fourth one for in a moment. Notice that he asks for gospel opportunity. He says, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. Brothers and sisters, we should pray for gospel opportunity. That God would place people in our lives every single day, whether it be at work or at school or at the grocery store or in the park or in our neighborhood or even maybe even in our households, that we could proclaim the gospel to them. We should pray for gospel opportunity. And notice also that Paul has displayed his boldness in proclaiming it. So much so that he's in prison for it. And I think we should be encouraged and motivated to pray also for ourselves that God would grant to us the same kind of gospel boldness in our proclamation of his good news. We should pray for gospel boldness. Oftentimes, if I were to be blunt, I think most of the time, it is not a lack of opportunity but rather a lack of boldness to seize that opportunity that prevents us from proclaiming the gospel. At least for now, we, we don't have in our country any current threat, threat, for now, of imprisonment or death for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think to some extent we should be ashamed then that we are not seizing every opportunity He grants us to proclaim that good news to those around us. Here in the West, we, we cower away from proclaiming the gospel out of fear, not of imprisonment or of beating or of death, but out of fear of awkwardness or offensiveness. May it not be so. Let us, brothers and sisters, pray for gospel boldness. That the gospel of Jesus Christ would be to us, as the word was to Jeremiah, a fire shut up in our bones that we couldn't keep it in. Let us pray that we would have the heart of the apostles who when they were threatened and commanded to stop proclaiming the gospel said in Acts 4, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We should pray for gospel opportunity, for gospel boldness, and we should pray for gospel clarity. Notice Paul asked here that we pray that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Brothers and sisters, we should pray that God would help us, 
that he would help us to be ready to give an answer for what it is that we believe when asked. We should pray then that God would help us, that God would help us to memorize Scripture, particularly what we might designate as good gospel passages, so that when we are granted opportunity and granted boldness, that we may faithfully and clearly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so just to offer to you, not saying by any means that these are all of the good gospel passages, certainly not, just a handful to encourage to you to memorize if you're looking for some. And passages such as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, or Romans 6.23, or Romans 10.9, John 14.6, or, or if you really want to get after it, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We should pray for gospel opportunity, gospel boldness, and gospel clarity. And I said I had a fourth one. And I'll throw this one here at the end, though it, I can't ever get away from the fact that it feels a little selfish, but I do believe it to be truly biblical. And I think it's essentially what Paul is asking here in our passage. And that is to please pray for your ministers. Pray for your ministers. Pray for them particularly for their preaching of the word. Matthew Henry writes that the people must pray particularly for their ministers. They must bear them upon their hearts at all times at the throne of grace. The best and most eminent Christians need the prayers of meaner Christians and are not above asking them. Uh, the chief speakers need prayer that God would give them a door of utterance and that they may speak as they ought to speak. So, brothers and sisters, what God's word offers to us this evening is simply this. That prayer is a duty of every Christian. That we must pray steadfastly. That is, regularly, constantly, persistently, and in all seasons of life. That we must pray, secondly, thankfully. And that thirdly, we must pray evangelistically. Praying for gospel opportunity, gospel boldness, and gospel clarity as well as praying particularly for your ministers. Would you join me as we pray now? Most gracious, heavenly Father God, we thank you, for you have given us so many reasons to be thankful. Lord, we do thank you for our health. We do thank you for this building that you've granted us that we may worship comfortably. Father, we certainly thank you for our wives and our husbands, our, our children and our parents. Father, we thank you for our families and our friends that you have placed in our lives. What an encouragement and a blessing they are. But Father, above all these things, above all these things, we thank you for the gospel, the good news of King Jesus. That you, in your sovereignty and in your grace and mercy and steadfast love that you made a way for sinners to be redeemed to you. Father, we thank you. Lord, we ask now that as we go out into a new week, that you would help us, that you would strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to pray in obedience to what we have learned here this evening. Help us, Father. Help us to pray steadfastly, Help us to pray thankfully. And Father, help us to pray evangelistically. All for your kingdom 
all for your gospel and all for your namesake. Amen.